Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Geekening. I am your host, or an occasional host, Will. I am a writer, and you can hear me on, on many things involving all ages of geek. I write some articles about some things. I'll be writing some reviews coming up about the Cuphead show. That's going to be fun when it premieres. Uh, you can also hear me as Tauros on the Dice Sesh podcast, also found on All Ages of Geek. But today I have a very special guest. Please introduce yourself. Hello. Oh, no. <laughs> Hello. My name is Panda Red. I am a TikTok skits and comic content creator. Uh, I make a variety of stuff ranging from skits joking about uh, the Bat family or Marvel characters um, to kind of just general discussions based around comics as a medium and the content that we create. All right. Sounds pretty good. And now, I, if you ask me, the best place to start is at the beginning. So how'd you get into comics? Um, when I was really, really, really young, uh, my dad, my dad, he used to be a comic book geek when he was a kid. And when uh, Free Comic Book Day rolled around, when I was uh. just barely old enough to read, uh, I think we were in a mall and we walked by like a comic shop and the uh, it was comic stop i think i think they went out of business now but uh it was essentially GameStop for comics and we walked by one and they were having a free comic book day um so we just rolled in and grabbed a uh, a star wars comic i think it was based on episode two or something and uh yeah it just kind of went downhill ever since I, I started reading that and then he showed me his old collection so i started reading his and then i started i went out and uh started picking up stuff on my own. I read that first free comic book so much that it literally like disintegrated in my hands one day. Oh. Um, so well, I somehow my parents found a, uh, another one that was the exact same. Uh, <laughs> it was the exact same comic. So they found another one and I have it framed in my room now. Oh, that, that's cool. That's cool. But um, for me, the way I got my introduction to the comics was not actually comics to begin with, mm -hmm. but I grew up on the generation that was the original Teen Titans and Batman the Animated Series. Right. That's how I got into comics. And then <laughs> when um, my mom seemed that I was starting to get into comics, she gave me her old collection. So uh. like... I believe there's like some Casper, some like <laughs> DuckTales comics. Oh man, like old old school like Gold yeah, Key comics. School. Yeah, Gold Key, that's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I used to I used to have a comic book shop and uh th those were the only people that I could remember doing DuckTales and uh and Casper and all the the old school uh animated series comic book adaptations. Yeah. Man, I, for the longest time, I couldn't remember that. Then you said gold, gold key. I was like, that's it. Yep. <laughs> and uh, whenever I uh, whenever I find old, old, old comic books like that, that's usually what I default to for uh, for old school, not related to a superhero. Usually those are the only ones that have survived. Yeah. But uh, now comic books as a medium is something <laughs> to begin with. Yeah, you have your good, your, the bad, the ugly, and then let's be honest, the downright goofy. And the goofy yes. can be the best parts. Comics, comics are fucking weird. That is one of the uh, one of the poles of them. Yeah, uh, who would you <laughs> say is uh, you know? Let's break things down by big publications. 
Uh, who would you say is your favorite DC hero? Uh, that's always a hard question for me to uh, answer. Um, because, I mean, character? Character flat out is probably Red Hood, but it's a very specific... It, it's Red Hood in, like, one or two issues. Because my favorite version of Red Hood is... is uh, Jason Todd when he was in Under the Red Hood, the comic, his first run as Red Hood. Right. Um, and and the I like the characterization that they give him sometimes, but a lot of the times they, they've kind of strayed away from the complexity of the character. So it gets a little bit iffy. So initially, I would say Red Hood is apparent by my entire background. I have uh, right. like a Red Hood cosplay and like three helmets behind me. But um, that's also... I also have characters that I've loved that I uh, that are just really cool that I really love that I like that not a lot of people know about like Lobo. I like Lobo is oh, one yeah, of my favorite Lobo. characters. Yeah, he's uh, like a just a classic joke about how how edgy characters are. Yeah, exactly. And, and he's so much fun. He's such a fun character to 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 get into. Um, so there, there's him and then there's, there's characters like Batmite and, and oh, I, I really, I like the characters that kind of point out comics as a medium and how ridiculous they are mm-hmm. because Jason Todd, when he first came back, a lot of his motivation was based around Batman's mission being, uh, futile and how it could, it could never work. This is the only way that we can get your mission to work. We're going to do this, 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 and this, and it makes more sense this way. And they never really have Batman debate that. They kind of just say, well, if I start killing, I'm going to never I'm going to never stop. But they never really debate Jason's point of, well, what you're doing doesn't work. Um, So his character, it's subtle, but he's he's kind of pointing out the the sort of ridiculousness of Batman's mission. And then there's characters like Batman and and uh, and Lobo who pointed out a lot more specifically where there's like Lobo is is directly based around uh, the Punisher, Ghost Rider and Wolverine. And pointing out how dumb and edgy those characters are of being like, oh, yeah, he's in space, but he's in space on a motorcycle and he's wrapped (laughs) in chains and he's got a leather jacket vest. And if he smells you once, he can track you down forever. Like it's (laughs) they, they point out, like, isn't this stupid? Isn't this dumb? And and that's how much fun it is because you can enjoy you can both enjoy that medium as well as think it's fucking stupid <laughs> as yeah. well. I had the series that got me that I started TikTok with was uh, dumb shit in comics because a, a ton of comics are just really really dumb stuff, and and it's a lot of fun to point out. But it's equal parts dumb and equal parts endearing, and and can really get to the heart of uh, of characters and and have really good metaphors and really good stories in there that you just couldn't get anywhere else. So there's a reason we love it, but it's dumb as hell. And that's usually what the characters I like tend to represent. Plus characters like Batmite are, are directly like calling out fans that, that, that are toxic and shitty where yeah, they're like, absolutely. Yeah. They, they point out the specific shit about, about fans where they're just like, Oh, uh, I don't like that. Change it back. And and can just completely change the entire reality of comics as it is just because a couple people don't like it. And I, I think that when comics pointed out through characters like Batmite or Mr. Mr. Pitlick, um, I, I just love when that stuff happens. So I kind of like those uh, the sort of meta characters like that. That also explains my favorite Marvel character, which is Deadpool, 
which follows that exact same path right. of being a sort of meta commentary on comics as as what they are uh, of going yeah this character's dark and really dark and he he can be really dumb and his stories can be really dumb but also we can have him point out how how brutal a lot of comics are we can have them point out how ridiculous the practices of a lot of comics characters are uh as well as having him poke fun at comics as a medium of being like oh yeah no this is a this is the kids issue so i can't say you know the word um i also can't say the k word but that's just kind of how we have to handle it today so we're just gonna we're gonna go forward with our child-friendly adventure where I'm going to totally not kill someone. Said, damn it, I said the word. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, that's the that's the sort of stuff that I like. Like I enjoy that too. And also with your meta commentary, one thing that comes to my mind is Superboy Prime. Right. Which is yes. a definite <laughs> allegory of like, see this character, Toxic Fans. Mm. This is you. The embodiment of Toxic Fanboys everywhere. Exactly. That is usually, that's that can usually be a line that you judge. That you can judge how deeply people read into characters as to how deep they have read into Superboy Prime. If they right. can find, if they can see the fact that he's joking, if they can see the fact with all of the red flags that he is supposed to be the toxic fan then then you can kind of see that they understand what they're talking about but usually if, if they're just like oh no he's just you know kind of a shit it's like okay that's uh, that's not his point it <laughs> he follows right. the same i it's like the rorschach rule depending on if if you can see that rorschach's a shitty person oh yeah 100 like yeah that that's sort of where superboy prime lands to me is like oh can you see the subtext here because the subtext here is screaming at you he literally <laughs> comes from our world that's oh god i love his character he's he's insane and ridiculous and i love him so much yeah but one thing with me growing up with teen titans and mm-hmm. the Batman the Animated Series. I don't know why I spaced out on its name for a second. It's literally Batman the Animated Series. Uh, mm. But I was... One thing those shows definitely prepare for you was just like, hey, fan, you like these wacky adventures? Yeah, well, we're going to make you feel emotions. <laughs> <laughs> Especially... Uh, we're going to take... Yeah. Yeah, like two examples that come to my mind is the backstory of uh, Mr. Freeze. And you just sit yeah. back and see it happen. You're just like, Oh, you poor man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, shows like that and and extending on that, I think shows I, I would include Young Justice in those sort oh, of yeah, shows. 100%. Of we can point out how ridiculous comics as a medium are. We can point out how how fun comics as a medium are, uh, as well as just kind of basking in the world of it, but also acknowledge that we can tell emotional stories with this. That, that this is an escapism trope. I, I always find it's uh, funny when fantasy stories are held in any higher regard than superhero stories or, or held with more esteem of like, oh, this feels more realistic. When it's like <laughs> elves are more realistic than the people in tights. That's okay, cool. Uh, but I, I think that being able to point out what would happen realistically to a lot of these characters is is a lot of fun. One of my, one of my favorite episodes of the hell any any superhero related show i've ever seen is the uh the therapy episode of young justice 
uh, in season one, I think they go on, they go on this psychic training mission uh, to, to prepare them for what if the, what if a, a threat wiped out the justice league, how would the team handle it? And then slowly throughout that episode, each of the members die and it's absolutely traumatic the entire time and they fail. And then at the end of the episode, it's revealed that, Oh my God, this was all uh, a training exercise done inside of their heads to, to try and to try and get them prepared for, for this possibility. And the episode immediately following that is just 30 minutes of each of the characters going to therapy with black canary and, and talking through their emotions and what, what happened to them during that and how they reacted. And it, and it really gets into the heads of the characters. And that's something that, I just love it when shows can do like you said with Bat- Batman, the animated series, I always look at uh, uh, the movie mask of the phantasm. Uh. There's an amazing scene in that where he, he almost gives up being Batman for the love of his life. What he thinks is the love of his life. And he, he, he like is begging on the, the grave of his parents for them to forgive him because he's like, I, I never planned on being happy. I, this, my plan was to, to bask in the misery as long as possible. I can't, I can't be Batman if I, if I don't have this, this pain in me. And that is incredible. That's, that, that's an understanding of the character that you just don't get a lot of the time. And that's why I love those shows is because they know the character inside and out and they know that they can, they can take the ridiculousness of these superheroes, the, the insanity of these superheroes and somehow find the human core of them. Yeah. And another human core thing I saw, it was one of those, I didn't realize it watching it, but as I grew up, I saw it. And it was with the Batman, the animated series episode with baby doll. Mm-hmm. And the comparing baby doll to Batman. Batman never yeah, yeah. had a childhood, but Baby Doll was stuck in hers. Yeah, and yeah. the fact that neither of them can move past it, regardless right. of yeah, Batman never had a childhood, but also he never grew out of the a ten year old in the alley with two pe- dead parents around him. Yeah, and two of the most heartbreaking lines in Batman the Animated Series, in my humble opinion, one of them is, "Why couldn't you just let me make believe?" Mm-hmm. From Baby Doll, because you the, you feel for her, because she's a three dimensional yeah. character, mm-hmm. and the other one would be uh, Mister Freeze. With this would move me to tears if I had any more tears to shed. Yeah, they 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 do Mister Freeze justice in that show they more do. more than I think any 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 medium has done him, and it's mm-hmm. it's really really good. I always with. With the animated series sharing sharing its universe with Justice League and everything, I feel like uh, the animated series on its own feels like its own independent story, and you can choose to accept that it is shared with the Justice League. Um, and when thinking about how how they can really get to the to the emotions of these characters, I always I always have a rule with uh, with any Batman adaptation. If your Batman wouldn't sit with a dying supervillain until they they passed on, if your if your Batman wouldn't go and, and comfort a dying supervillain and then sit by them when they knew they were gonna die, you didn't make a Batman. You made a Punisher. 
like the episode that's a really good rule yeah the episode with ace when ace oh, is dying yeah. and waller waller gives him the weapon to go and kill her go and kill her and he goes and she says i'm dying aren't i he says yes says you have the weapon to kill me he says yes you're not going to are you no and he throws it away and she asks him to sit with him until she dies and he does he sits down and he just sits with her and holds her hand until she passes on and if your batman can't do that you didn't make a batman that's not batman because that is the core of the character right there is the the innate caring for humanity is the innate caring of of people that he he cares about people he he is not based around just punishment so if you if your batman wouldn't do that it's not it's not batman it was never batman <laughs> right and one thing that I am happy to say that I have recently finished, and for those listening, I highly recommend this. I finished reading volume one of The Court of Owls, and mm. that was a trip. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and honestly, The Court of Owls have become some of my favorite villains because it's a mm. villain Batman didn't think existed. Right. It's it's a it's a villain that uh, the world's greatest detective never found on his own. It yeah. it needed to be revealed for, to him for him to be able to see it. And I love I love the idea that it it, it grants an, an extra level of mysticism to Gotham as as the city in itself. Because a lot of the times, I I've never been a fan of the Gotham is literally cursed theory, not uh, theory story. They I I always say on my TikTok that uh canon is what you choose it to be yeah it's it's you you can accept what is and isn't canon to yourself it doesn't really matter what the story says is true it it matters what you interpret is true i i choose to not believe that jason todd goes out and just kills criminals because that doesn't make sense with his ideology that's not how i have ever seen him i've always seen him as a, as a cold and calculating sort of sort of character so i choose not to look at that and and one of the things with Gotham is I, I choose to just kind of ignore that they said once in canon that, uh, oh, Gotham is actually cursed. That's why uh, it's so bad all of the time, et cetera, et cetera. But the Court of the Owls, I all, I've loved the idea that, yeah, there's an insane number of rich people in the city. There's an insane number of people that aren't public but are extremely wealthy and they control everything. And they've always controlled everything. That's why Gotham sucks so much is because they are the ones making sure that it does. I absolutely love that storyline. I love the 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 fact that it all went over Bat's head for so long because he wasn't looking for them. And it it again it breaks into the character of who who he is of like well why didn't he? He why how could he not notice this sooner? And it's so cool the house's bill. It's such a good concept because it, it reveals Batman and and where he's looking for crime but um another part of the reason i liked it it was the core of the owls um honestly a core of owls member was my very first cosplay hmm. because i got the comic with the mask yeah and i was just like oh i think i can find some black fabric so you can't see my eyes so i just you know, <laughs> taped it on the inside eh, good enough i got a suit that works Perfect. there we yep. go <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, it, plus, uh, it's just, the Court of Owls seems 
just too big. You know, like one man can't stop the court of owls. <laughs> yeah, it, it's yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a force that that not just Batman can stop, which also justifies the Bat Family existing. Right. Which is it's it's nice. It makes it makes it so that it's a it's a force that Batman can't stop without having to resort to making the character insanely strong. Right. Because it's not it's not crime by crime by strength. It's crime by influence. It's the the entirety of the quarter out quarter vows is based around who they know not what they can physically do what they can physically they're just a bunch of people mm-hmm. like they have they have they have the talons and everything of course but like the talons are just basically batman's on command yeah. so like it in in my mind what makes them scary is what they can do to to batman and to other characters through through a word they they can write they can write something into existence. They don't need they don't need uh, Bane's strength to go and break into Gotham Bank and rip it open or anything. They can just ask the bank teller to give them the money and they will. That yeah. is that that's why they're cool. That's why they're scary is because Batman can never truly defeat them because he's just a guy, an illegal guy, mind you. He's an illegal vigilante, so it's not like he can topple down this giant cabal of of faceless people on his own yeah and like i like the example you had with bane because what's scarier a criminal that could just destroy the bank and get the money or one who could just walk into the vault right it does it does really lend to his to to the fear of those characters and uh how 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 effectively they're used really Mm-hmm. And um, have you seen the trailer for? I think it's Goth. Is it Arkham Knights or Gotham Knights? The one Gotham Knights. Gotham Knights. Okay, yeah. And I actually honestly, did an ad for them a little while ago. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, one part I liked in the trailer was the Penguin warning them of the Court of Owls. Like it's so bad, one of your villains is telling you, "Don't go after them." <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it does. Like, yeah, it's it lends even more to their uh, to to their influence because they're not they're not just based around around white collar crime or anything. They have their roots in even the crime that Batman has fought before and going, no, don't touch them. We don't touch them for a reason. There's a reason you never found out about them. It's because we found out about them and we didn't want to like that is that lends such fear to, to who they are as people because they openly fight Batman, but they're never going to openly fight these other people. Cause yeah. why, cause why would I put that target on my back? And it just shows like the people who did put a target on the back, like, yeah, this is why they went mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is why you, they got, they went mad or, or were killed and turned into talons or whatever is, uh, you don't you don't mess with them. If you want, if you're gonna mess with them, you're probably you're never gonna come back. So save yourself the trouble. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but you know, we've been talking about uh, DC a bit. Let's shift over to Marvel. What would you say is one of your favorite things about Marvel comics in general? 
I would say in general with with Marvel, they have uh, I don't know what it is. They feel semi somewhat less fantastical, but that's not a bad thing. Right. With with DC, it feels like escaping into a fantasy world. It feels like going into somewhere else where everything is everything is is elevated to the tenth degree. Uh, the the locations aren't the ones we know. Sometimes they will stop by places that we know, but not for very long. Uh, it it feels like a heightened version of of reality. It's an unreality, like it, it's a fantasy. But with Marvel, the the fact that they use both real world locations and that their characters feel so grounded within them, mm-hmm. it 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 gives a different feel. And that that's kind of what I like about them is that they Marvel and DC feel so distinct from each other because of how their how their settings influence their characters is it, there's always the common joke that like New York is the most protected and most uh, dangerous city in the world in Marvel because you have every superhero living there. But at the exact same time, I mean, it, it makes those characters feel real it makes those characters feel like they could be right outside your window because they're going to the real location that that exist in reality they're they're conversating with people that we know from reality like i it always feels like when marvel makes a sort of pop culture jab it feels like it's because those characters would know that pop culture reference not like wait batman knows about youtube like when when they make when they make jokes about Batman, because there's there's a running joke. Well, there was a joke in I think the Grant Morrison run of Batman uh, that he goes on like Reddit and and posts Batman conspiracy theories under a fake name because he wants to throw people off the scent that he's Batman. So he he deliberately puts false evidence in the water to to steer people in the wrong direction. But in my mind, I'm like, wait, Batman knows what Reddit is. Reddit exists in the DC universe. That doesn't feel right. Right. But if, but if Spider-Man made a joke about Reddit, it feels a little bit more like, oh, okay. Yeah, of course. Because we know Reddit. We have Reddit. And Spider-Man's supposed to be from our world. It feels like us is, is what makes Marvel feel special. And I think the only characters that feel somewhat that same fantastical sense while still having a, a Marvel tone is the X-Men. The X-Men feel somewhat other from, from the rest of, of Marvel. Uh, it feels they have a sort of their own fantastical setup because while they exist in New York, the building that they're in does not feel like it should be in New York. It's a giant, it's a giant manor with, with lush gardens that, that stretch out for forever. And you're telling me this is in the, this is like what a 10 minute drive from Nelson and Murdoch, please come on. Yeah. Like, and, but they also, they, they have their own like nations that are based completely around just them. Like Krakoa exists, but Spider-Man's not going to go to Krakoa because that doesn't, it doesn't fit within his world. It somehow feels like the X-Men are a different part of the same world but still have a more fantastical element to them while still feeling like Marvel. Yeah. Marvel has Marvel feels grounded is the way that I would put it. It feels more in our, it's a height, heightened version of our world while DC feels a lot more like a fantasized version of a world. 
Yeah, totally agree. And you brought up Spider-Man, and one of my favorite things involving Spider-Man is when the mm. villains realize, oh, wait, he's holding back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the uh, the best reveal of that to, to ever happen was uh, the Superior Spider-Man run. Yeah. Where... Because there, there's there's multiple times where he's shown the villains that he's holding back and that he could just end them in an instant if he wanted to. Uh, there, was the, there was the moment in Renew Your Vows where he basically beat on Venom until his fists were just jello. There was, uh, there was the, the fight in Civil War where Kingpin, where he broke into the prison to beat the shit out of Kingpin and tell him if Aunt May dies, I'm going to come back here and kill you and then left. There's all those moments, but in Superior Spider-Man, it's the best thing ever because a villain gets to experience it, yeah. not just be on the receiving end of it. Because if they're on the receiving end, they never know if he's actually not holding back or if there's still more to come. Superior Spider-Man going all out and realizing that Spider-Man could have killed all of them at any given time, at any moment, if he truly wanted to, is it's incredible storytelling. I love it when they show stuff like that. Yeah. <sighs> what else can we talk about? You know, I did bring up, you did bring up uh, video games. So what would you say is your favorite video game? Or favorite genre? I, well, the genre gets kind of specific. It's uh, third, person, third person action games, essentially. So think like uh, God of War, uh, The Last of Us that sort of god of god of war ps4 and the last of us mm. um story-based third-person action games are usually my favorite but um yeah. i would say my my favorite games usually fluctuate depending on on when it is i have games that i nostalgically hold at the top of my list army of two 40th day is the top of my list and will always be at the top of my list just because nostalgically i had that holds a special place in my heart but um through games that I have played, I think that Last of Us 2 is probably up there as one of my favorites of all time. Um, as well as, yeah, the two examples that I gave was the Last of Us and God of War, probably. Last of Us, God of War, and Army of 240th Day are probably the top three. And then under that, there's games like Spider-Man, Uncharted, um, uh, Assassin's Creed 4 specifically. <laughs> oh, yes, my man. Yeah. Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag. Great game. Love it. Yes, absolutely. There, 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 was a, there was a certain amount in that game that feels it feels right. You never knew that, that the Assassin's games in on a pirate ship would feel so good until you played that game. Oh, yeah. Let's be honest. The Jackdaw felt like its own character. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh... But uh, let's talk about your uh, TikTok for a bit. Sure. Um, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, personally, yeah. um, I have watched I your TikToks, been a fan for a while. Just accepting Thank you. you as TikTok's Red Hood. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That is, yeah, that's a that's a space that is very it's it's fun to occupy that space. It's it's hilarious when people post a thing where they ask about Red Hood and then I get tagged. 30 bajillion times in the comments uh even i it's just because of the 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 push that i've had to somehow get myself as a live action red hood in some capacity even though it's a pipe dream it's never going to happen but i i want it to i want someone at dc to find me so badly 
just to be like one of you can i can i voice him can i be something can i show up in the background can i be a variant on the gotham night show being like oh yeah in a different universe this guy like that any of that i think i'm the only i'm the only person i found on tiktok that is actively campaigning to be like no i want this give me this please like, <laughs> uh, but also um one thing i do love is your skits thank you especially the ones involving the gcpd where commissioner Gwen's <laughs> just like relax have a coffee it's fine <laughs> we don't have to take care of this this is fine yeah i mean uh, any anything i do in my skits is usually just pulled from from jokes that i would think up or 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 what my mental humor-based brain thinks that the the world is like in those universes so it it's always fun being able to extrapolate on those and 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 show other people like yeah this is kind of ridiculous isn't it also the fact that commissioner gordon's at every major crime scene that you've ever seen even though he's the boss and shouldn't be at any of them or the fact that cops show up at all even though all they do is die or turn on the turn on the bad turn on the good guys and end up working for the bad guy who they're trying to stop in the first place yeah there was one thing me and some friends were joking about and it was i would like we technically would like to see a comic where it's like a superhero comic told from a regular person's point of view just walking down the street and okay super villains okay gonna go back home don't need to go to work today gonna be late (laughs) there's uh there's a couple of, of comics that I've seen that kind of hinge on that sort of just slice of life variety of comics. And those are, those are always ones that I like. There's a, there's a comic called the superior foes of Spider-Man that is so much fun because it it's a bunch of like D tier villains trying to be this, the sinister six. Oh no. Uh, the, the, the real sinister six is in, is in prison uh, so the name's up for grabs. And because of that, these these five, mind you, there's only five of them. These five supervillains are like, oh, yeah, we can do this. We can be the Sinister Six. Yeah, we got this. Um, but there are, there are a bunch of fucking morons. I think it's it's uh, Boomerang, the third shocker. Uh, is it Speed Demon or Hot Rod? Uh, Speed Demon. Uh, there's uh, might be some guy named Hot Rod or something. There's there's like a, a a driver guy who's really good at driving, and I think the Beetle are are the the six supervillains who think that they can all of a sudden become the Sinister Six, and all all they do is basically fuck up because they're they're a bunch of nobodies trying to operate in a superhero world. Like, I think there's one time where they try and rob a, a convenience store. There's supervillains in full costume holding a convenience store up at gunpoint. And they get like maybe $70 out of it because they're not scary. Makes, makes sense. Makes yeah. Sense. No, I, I love I love stories told from that sort of guy on the ground perspective. They, they, they do stories like that uh, sometimes that I really like. Like Marvels, if you've ever read Marvels, it it's the entire history of the marvel universe through the perspective of a reporter that lived through all of it um and and kind of explains like oh yeah here's how world war ii happened with captain america and submariner and the human torch all existing at the same time 
and then disappearing for a couple of decades. And it's, uh, it's so nice. That one's a lot more reverent of the superheroes and a lot less like, wouldn't it be hilariously dangerous to live in this world? But yeah, I, I absolutely love those stories. And um, also, thanks to you, I am looking to get into a book I never thought I would, and that is The League of Regrettable Superheroes. Yeah, those, those are a lot of fun to uh, to read through. Yeah, because anytime I hear one of your TikToks about it, I'm just sitting back and I'm just like, you know, I want to see a movie of this. <laughs> it's like, I know it'd be ridiculous, and that's why I want it to be made. <laughs> Yeah, I I do like the fact that they point they point out a lot of a lot of characters that are less than regrettable, but also like just, isn't this dumb? Isn't this funny? It's it 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 has the same it has the same tone towards comics that a lot of uh, comics fans have. Of we love it and we love this this medium and we love everything about it. However, also it's really fucking dumb most of the time. Yeah, but also I can't wait to get into the sidekicks one or the villains one because yeah, I uh, I have plans to I have plans to do those down the road once uh once I make it through the majority or most of the book or or just for special events here and there until I get there. Right, but yeah, I've gotten those sent to me a couple of times just to just to for people to be reassured that i have seen them i've seen them i've read them uh i haven't read them but i've seen them and i've looked through them and there's there's a lot of of good stuff in there but i want to make it through regrettable superheroes first and break each of those down before i i start breaking off into other books as well right but what's one character from either dc or marvel you don't feel like gets enough love like they're a really cool character, but it seems no one's really heard of them. You see, it's a lot less no one's really heard of them. It's just that they never really get their own consistent book. Mm-hmm. Is um there's a lot. <laughs> there, there's enough that I'm like, but they do have a pretty niche fan base. I want I want Lobo to have a running book again. Um because I really do enjoy getting into the weirder side of space with DC and not just having to rely on the, on green lanterns being the only closest connection to space and, and getting into it. Um, however, I would also really want to see a booster gold running book again, because be- booster gold's a lot of fun as a character. And, and it, it has a very similar tone to the peacemaker show that's out right now of somebody who just kind of sucks. They're kind of a shitty person who has a lot of issues, but a good heart trying to be a superhero. And I think, I think that they could do that, that all of his stories are really, really good. Uh, Especially if they bring blue beetle into it as well. Ted cord. Um, So yeah, he's a character that I, I, he, he does have a pretty large fan base. He's had a couple, he's been in, justice league and and uh uh batman the brave and the bold and and stuff like that but usually they play him a lot more for for the joke of it another character a lot like that plastic man i don't know if he can hold his own for a solo book for very long right. but 
Plastic Man is a character that has a lot more complexities than people usually give him credit for. So right. I would I would really want to see a uh, him get more love as a character instead of writers consistently showing how cool he is and people not really knowing him that well. Yeah, and with what you mentioned with Boost the Gold, I was just like, oh yeah, I remember Boost the Gold from Brave and the Bold. And I mm-hmm. actually have, when the New 52 did happen, I actually have number one of Justice League International, which yeah. it, it was good. Justice League International number one was good. Don't know if it got better or worse as it got on. Never found two, mm. three, four, <laughs> however long it ran. But I remember enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I usually like his his appearances in other books. I, I think, was it Justice League International or Justice League Europe when he was a consistent? No, that was... Uh, blue beetle on that team um I, li- I like when he shows up in media but a lot of the times people either try and play him straight as just a normal superhero or they go way too hard in the direction if he's a shitty person and i i like being able to get into the minutiae of that guy because he's he's got a lot of complexity as a character and not a lot of people know about that a lot of people just kind of treat him as the uh the moron who's trying to be a superhero when he, he yeah he's got some shitty aspects to him but you can also find a lot of the heart of that character he's a lot of fun to get into and read yeah and i didn't expect to talk about batman the brave and the bold but here we are it also <laughs> when one thing i loved about brave and the bold one was its writing and two it w- it showed people the wacky villains and it knew it was wacky yeah i think the thing with brave and the bold is that it is it's an adaptation of the silver age of Batman that it's who Batman was before Frank Miller touched Batman. And I think being able to get into that and actually be able to show that is nice. It's fun to be able to see because Frank Miller with the dark Knight returns completely changed how people see Batman because it got so popular and it was so dark that people now see him as this grizzled, hateful loner that desperately needs to just, just purely based around vengeance and and has all these dark bad guys and dark stories when in all honesty batman in like the silver age was kooky and wacky and had ridiculous storylines that is it's a lot of fun to get into i know that's that's not who the character is anymore the same way that superman is a raging misogynist in in his books but uh it's it's fun to be able to to be able to get into the to the dumber aspects of them of the rainbow costume and the real Zurin R and uh yeah all of the like the ten-eyed man and crazy quilt and and all those characters that are just fun and don't have to be dark or tragic or anything yeah but one thing from brave and the bull that when you mentioned it it reminded me of this, and it was when Batman was facing this w- female villain, and she was just like, oh, you wouldn't hit a woman, would you? And Batman's just like, the hammers of justice are unisex. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's they did a right sim- about goof. Yeah, cool. they did something kind of similar in the, in, uh, the Batman animated series, too, I think, where they, he, had, uh, he made a joke about being, uh, I'm an equal opportunity crime fighter when, when He's, he's fighting like that it's it it's just enough goofy that you can that you can understand a man in a bat suit fighting crime but yep. not enough goofy that it that it jumps the shark 
they they still let Batman be dark and brooding and and ah, my parents are dead, but that it allows him to also kind of have that fun aspect to him. He, he has a dog and all of his stuff is, is dark blue and red. Like it's, it's just fun. And that's the, that's the nice thing of it. And they got more and more into it the longer it went on. Yeah. And one thing that I love that they reasoned and it, it worked was that Batman, the brave and the bold musical episode with music meister. Yep. Is sung by Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, it was that was that was a fun episode, and that was really fun that they that they were able to introduce that. I don't remember if Music Meister, at least that version of Music Meister, is actually a comic character that was an original for the for the show. Uh, but it was a lot of fun to be able to see that they were able to work that in, just into the actual show itself. It seems like every good show that has Batman in it somehow has him sing in some way or another. Because yeah. in Justice League, there was also the uh, I'll Be Blue um, voice lines as well. Uh, what else? Um, yeah, Brave and the Bull, it introduced me to villains like uh, Clock King, Music Meister, Gorilla Grodd, yeah. Gentleman Ghost. Which... <laughs> <laughs> he, was a, he was frequent on that, on that show when yeah, he, he actually... Not, not only did he not show up very much before that, but he hasn't really showed up all that much after it either. Yeah, and he is just the right amount of goofy. <laughs> just like, so what happened to this place? Yeah, it got robbed by a floating top hat, monocle, and suit. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Until lightning went off, and then he turned into a corpse in a black suit. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah. He's fun and ridiculous, and I think he would only really work in a, in a show like that where they can play with how goofy he is right. because you would never be able to see him in, in a live action setting or in a darker Batman. Right. Uh, what would you say is some of your favorite goofy parts of comics? Like parts that always make you laugh. One part that, that it amazes me that it's still used is uh, sound effects are still have never really changed in comics. They've never, they've never really phonetically spelled out what a sound sounds like because when people get punched in the face, it still says pow in the comics. Like that's, that's a goofy part of comics that I will always love. Cause regardless of how dark a comic is, they're never going to actually phonetically spell out how, how sounds sound. It's always going to be pow, kablam, kaboom. Like, it's it's going to be this sort of uh, cartoonish way of describing things, and I love that 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 hasn't changed. And it always amazes me when I read a really dark story where like a nuke goes off and it says "boom." Like <laughs> it's re- it's it will never cease to to be funny to me. Or when like it's in a really emotional fight scene, something gets punched in the face and it says "pow" on the screen, like. Uh, thanks to your videos, I actually have learned some things about the DC universe that have just terrified me. And that is simply Dark Side is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with with the new gods and characters like Dark Side, it's always hard to it's hard to really grasp how how insane of a concept and how terrifying it is. Which I will always lend to the to the creativity of Jack Kirby because. 
good good lord it it gets scarier the longer that you look at it i think the first yeah. book to actually truly give me to actually truly show me how scary dark side as a character can be is uh mr it's not mr terrific uh mr miracle it's mr miracle by tom king that that story introduced dark side is as a concept because slowly throughout the book they, they they stick to this nine panel layout for every page and randomly at the beginning one panel somewhere in the book will be completely black with the words dark side is that's it and the longer the book goes on the more those panels show up until eventually right before dark side is revealed the entire page is black and it just says dark side is in the in the center of it because it wants you to it wants you to have this impending sense of doom of his character of the dark side can never die dark side is beyond your understanding dark side is scarier than you will ever be able to comprehend dark side does not do anything dark side does not fight anything dark side simply is it, it gives him this sense of the universe that he it, he is a constant there is no there is nothing you can do to defeat him there is nothing that you can do to stop him Anytime you stop a version of him, that's just one version and another will come to take its place. It is, it, it's such an effective way to make a character terrifying as to give him this sense of otherworldliness. It, it gives me the sense that Galactus had when he first showed up of he's not evil. He's not malicious. He does not intend to cause harm. He simply is. He is a being that exists. And because of that, he needs sustenance. And the only sustenance that he has is planets. And that in and of itself is, is a, a great cosmic horror level concept. And then Darkseid expands on a very similar manner to that of going, uh, what if there was a being in the universe that, that despised life so much that he wanted to mathematically eradicate it from the universe and not only did he want this, but he also existed on a plane of reality that no one else could comprehend or understand. That no one, no one of the heroes that we have ever found will ever be able to make it to. That him simply falling backwards can crush realities. Is that is such an effective cosmic horror character? It's it's beautiful. Yeah then you can just hit the absolute 180 and be like, yes, he still does get coal from Santa, who hand delivers it. <laughs> yep. Because that is also a universal concept, which shows the ridiculousness of comics, which shows how fun comics are as a concept as well. Because you can have both both exist in the same universe. Of yeah. the Because the, even in Tom King's run, even in that Darkseid comic, where Darkseid is shown as this like, other dimensional cosmic horror lovecraftian monster he he simply exists you can do nothing to stop him there there's a shot of him sitting on his throne eating uh eating carrots out of a little like party vegetable platter that has like ranch in the center where he's just like He's just like calmly munching down on baby carrots. And that's hilarious. <laughs> that is, that's funny. And that exists in the exact same, that exists in the exact same comic where he is also shown as this otherworldly monster. Yeah. This can all just be summed up with comics are wild, man. <laughs> Com yeah, comics are wild. Comics are fun. <laughs> yeah. 
But then you have Santa in the Marvel Universe, who is an Omega-level mutant. Sometimes. Sometimes. It's a, it's a 50-50 role if a writer remembers that he is both. He is either a magical being composed of the uh the the belief in three other beings or if he's an omega level mutant that has existed for all of time it is one or the other and either way it's hilarious uh and either way it's fun it's it's the way that you can work comics into any world it's great yeah and one comic book i highly recommend that anyone who's a fan of marvel or dc or just comics in general do pick up it is um, Stan Lee's biography or autobiography, which of course is told in a style of comics. Of course it is. And because you know, it was Stan the man. Mm. And ever since his passing, I do reminisce on that book, just thinking he did all of this. Mm. This man created so many heroes and made people true believers. No, I will. I'll always have a respect for Stanley. However, I will also always have a sort of. I have a fifty-fifty relationship with Stanley, because in in my mind, I follow the Alan Moore, Alan Moore's outlook on it. Mm. Alan, Alan Moore met Stanley. Alan Moore met all of the people who used to work at Marvel, and a lot of the time, he. Alan Moore has specifically come out and said, like, I credit most of the Marvel universe to Jack Kirby and Stan Lee as definitely having his contribution, but not being the sole creator as right. he is usually credited. I, I, I follow that logic because once, do you know about the Marvel method? Marvel method. I can't recall hearing about this now. The Marvel method is how Marvel used to com compose their writing in, in the days of like Stan the Man and Jack King Kirby is the artist and writer would sit down and come up with a basic overview, overview of the plot, overview of what happens. The, the, that would usually be made into sort of a rough-ish script with both of them collaborating on what it would be. Then the artist would take that rough layout and they would go and draw the whole comic filling in with their own dialogue wherever they, wherever they needed to. And then they would hand that finished comic back to the writer who would fill in all the blanks, who would rewrite all the dialogue, who would rewrite all of the, the caption boxes, yada, yada, yada. So Marvel's comics were a lot more collaborative between the artist and the writer, but the artist had, a more, create, had more creative decisions made because they actually had to lay everything out. Fair. It was a lot less how comics are usually made where a writer basically writes a script like a movie where they say this panel this size this is what the character's doing in that panel this 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 usually there's a bit of there's there's a lot of collaboration back and forth but the writer will definitely like i think uh shit alan moore again alan moore is extremely descriptive in how he wants uh his panels to look so when he says I want a mid-sized panel, the entire length of the page. In the panel, this is going to be happening. There's going to be an office. There's going to be a receptionist with a desk. And on the desk, there's going to be a sign that says this on it. It's this day. The clock needs to be turned to this hour. The characters are walking down the hallway, X amount. It's an extremely, he has a vision in his mind and it's the artist's job to use his description to make that. 
but with the classic Marvel method, it was a lot more that the artist had a lot of interpretation that he could do, that they could that they could go into what they wanted to the characters to look like. Uh, so then the writer did have a lot of input, but the artist had equal, if not more, input. So it's my it's my controversial opinion. While I still I love Stanley and I have an insane amount of respect for him, and I will never stop because yeah, he did have an insane contribution on everything that I love as a person. I also credit a lot of Marvel specifically to Jack Kirby and Jack Kirby and uh, Joe Simon and, and, and artists right. like him is artists, artists at Marvel, especially in that time, usually get overlooked, especially for how much they, they really contributed. Right. And if you don't mind, and I don't think you will mind, Let's talk about Jack the King Kirby and yes. how awesome this guy was. <laughs> because I, for those listening, I know the story, but you probably know it better. Could, could you please tell them the story of when Nazis came to Marvel wanting to beat him up? Yeah. So when when Captain America number one was released, because Jack Kirby and I think it was Joe Simon. Yeah, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby were uh, the co-creators of Captain America. And when they released Captain America, it was before America had entered World War II. Uh, America said that they wanted to stay neutral. They wanted to stay out of the conflict. So America wasn't in it. And because of this, there was still a very vocal Nazi party in America. Um, so when uh, Captain America number one got released and the cover was the main character punching Hitler in the face and deflecting the bullets of other officers, that Nazi party got very, very mad very, very quickly and went to the offices of Marvel and went to the receptionist and said, uh, if if Jack Kirby thinks it's so easy to fight Nazis, why doesn't he come down here and we'll show him how they fight? Receptionist calls it up. Jack picks up the phone. Here's this and says, all right, coming down, hangs up the phone and goes downstairs to go kick the shit out of a couple of Nazis because Jack Kirby is no one's bitch. And he, by the time he has made it down to the, uh, to the front office, they're gone because they ran away, <laughs> which is oh. just brilliant because Jack Kirby does not give a shit. No, he, he didn't. And that will always be one of my favorite Jack Kirby stories because that shows how he got that moniker of the king. The you king earned that. Yep, he was. Uh, uh, he definitely deserved it one hundred percent, which is mm-hmm. why uh, that nickname is stuck around. I've tried to find stuff with Jack the King Kirby on it as as merch before, but like I said, those those artists usually get overlooked, so yeah. it's it's hard to find stuff like that. It is, and artists should never be overlooked, whether it be with anything, you know? And Mm. especially nowadays, artists are having a tougher time with the rise of NFTs. That being said, please commission your artists. They (laughs) 100% deserve it. Pay your artists a reasonable amount. Art is an incredibly hard thing to do, so. Oh, yeah, 100%. I I joke about this, but it's partly true. I can't do art, so I became a writer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you can't make the image, it's my might as well 
describe it, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But and also, if you think an artist is paying too little for their talents, hey, there's a magical thing called a tip. I think they'll enjoy that. But I, I can't think of uh, anything else really to talk about. You know, we talked about how you get your skit ideas because it's basically what makes you laugh, which makes what is it now like millions of people laugh. Ah, God, I wish. Uh, I'm at eight hundred and eighty. I think last time I checked. Um, almost a million it's it's close i'm approaching i still got a little while to go it's taken me almost two years to get eight eight hundred thousand so now we just got to get the that last two yep but with your content i can safely say you'll make it i believe that (laughs) Uh, though i i can't say there's one character of yours that will always get a chuckle out of me no matter how bad of a day i had and that is bill the professional henchman <laughs> yep <laughs> I, uh, I i wanted to just when i made him it was really just as a uh, a stand in for a henchman but it's it's incredibly easy to reuse the character because most henchmen you would assume get reused. It, yeah. You would assume that that's kind of their job. You don't just hench for a little while. So uh, have, having a character like that repeatedly show up and having the ridiculousness of superhero plots is extremely useful. Yeah, one of my favorite uh, skits involving Bill was telling the new guy, yeah, Batman's not above using guns. He's above killing. He won't kill yeah. you, but he'll use guns. He won't shoot one himself. He doesn't want to use the gun himself. Right. But if you use the gun and he's the reason you use the gun and you don't kill anyone, he doesn't really care. That's right. not that's not his thing. And one running joke that again always gets a chuckle out of me, just you stole my bones. <laughs> that is uh, kind of like how I said I like the sort of meta commentary on, on superheroes. That was definitely made along the lines of superhero fights always seem to be ridiculously brutal. Even because somebody will get hit a thousand times and not go down. Yeah. So the, the joke of him stealing the bones, I it started as me saying he did unspeakable things to my bones. Uh, which was just like, oh, he broke him X amount of ways, yada, yada, yada. But I, I think I elevated it to him him having his bones stolen at some point because that sounded ridiculous and no one understands how that would happen. So the, the, the joke, I, I just love the, the joke of this is so ridiculous that this would never even occur. And because of that, the fact that it keeps happening is even weirder. Yeah. But another thing that we can talk about just with, you know, I think we've entered the goofy section. Let's talk about the goofy things and like Batman the Animated Series and stuff like that. Uh, Just simply, then I threw a rock at him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They they worked worked humor into that show in in a way that, that somehow fits. And I think it's because it's understated. A lot of the humor in that show, they don't really draw attention to it. Right. Especially because a lot of people forget that Killer Croc didn't say that. 
that wasn't Killer Croc. That was Batman. Right. It was Batman as Killer Croc. <laughs> yeah, that's Batman's interpretation of how dumb Killer Croc is. So Killer Croc may not have ever been that dumb. I think in his own in his own episode, Killer Croc is actually kind of smart. He's he's like he knows to cover up before he goes outside. He knows to kill people so it looks like murder is not looking like a giant crocodile man. Like Killer Croc's actually pretty smart, but no one's gonna think Killer Croc is pretty smart, and Bruce knows that, so he makes Killer Croc hilariously dumb and works on it that way, which is just it's it's great. And because it's so understated and they don't really call attention to like punchline or, or setup or anything, it's just kind of a real thing that someone would say. And the joke of just looking at him and being like, you fucking moron <laughs> is it feels real. And because yeah. of that, it feels nice. And also thanks to that show. Anytime we see Joker in comics, it's it's the voice of Mark Hamill. I'm not yeah. going to lie to you. He, he killed the, that role. The man is the Joker at this point. Yeah, he is. And I believe... I seen like one interview that he did a while ago, I think. And he was talking about what it was like voicing the Joker. Right. And he said, one thing that I do miss is just being in LA traffic, stuck on the highway, and just thinking, well, it's perfectly fine for me to practice my laugh right here. And then next <laughs> thing I know, little Johnny in the next car is looking over like, Mommy, why is that man laughing? And she's like, don't look at him, sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> right. That is, yeah. He he knows how to have fun. He's, he's, he's a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, and another, it seemed like all of a sudden talking to you, some lines from the animations that made me laugh always come up just two-faced telling joker look me in the face joker smart which one joker, yeah which one <laughs> yeah uh, i mean they didn't know how to write yeah. comedy then. right but one thing i think the animated series did really well was also showing that the villains are people yeah, I think showing showing villains doing things like that where they're they're in a bar alone and they're uh, just talking, just having just having time to themselves or or showing that the villains have time where they're not just being villains like Harley and uh, Harley and Poison Ivy going on a shopping spree. Harley breaks out and she doesn't immediately go into rob a bank. She just tries to go and be a person is it's nice. It's nice to see because then it, it allows when when you see them doing super villainous things while you're still invested in the superhero superheroics of it you're also like oh harley come on you're better yeah. than this like it, it allows you to humanize these characters and one thing with uh i i don't have a problem with it but i blame the mm. batman and robin movie for it's that bane isn't a muscle-bound idiot he's actually really intelligent Bane is actually a genius. The way I described it in an early video is that Bane is Batman with a drug problem where he's, he's incredibly perceptive. He's incredibly intelligent. He's uh, a planner. He is, he's able to think through things to the nth degree, but he has one singular goal and that is to break Batman. And he, he does that effectively almost anytime he puts his brain to it. He does that. And the only thing holding him back is the fact that he thinks that he needs Venom to be stronger than him. When in all reality, Bane is already stronger than Batman physically. 
Yeah. And uh, what was that show called? Shoot, I'm drawing a blank. It was the Batman show where with old man Bruce Wayne. Uh, Beyond? Yeah, Beyond. Yeah, one thing I like that Beyond showed was what happened to Bane. He... Yeah, it, it left him a, uh, a, a wreck in a retirement home because he was so, he was so addicted to venom that his body no longer was able to operate without it. Right. Which it shows, it shows the reality of this character and shows the reality of what would happen if you stayed addicted to an incredibly addictive and uh, dangerous concoction that people forget that venom was in testing when Bane stole it. Venom is not a finished drug. It's not something that's been put out into the world. When when Bane started taking it, the version that he had was uh, experimental. It affected it, it affects his, his mood, his body, everything. And constantly growing and shrinking your muscle mass and and souping yourself up like that is is incredibly dangerous. So Batman Beyond actually going, yeah, no, that destroyed him. Uh it gives a reality to it, which is really nice to see. Yeah. Yes. But uh, thank you for being a guest. I was really glad that you said yes to this. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Um, one thing I do like the special guest to do is leave some parting words of wisdom to the listeners. So would you? Yes. Uh, one thing I always like to say is I, I used to I used to own a comic shop uh, for for a while and it didn't exactly it didn't fail or anything we we didn't really like the the setup or anything but one thing it did teach me is buy your comics from comic shops always make sure that uh, you respect the people that work in those shops because I can guarantee you. They're not making what they think what you think they are. Uh, and also comics are for everyone. Never use comics to to justify uh, anything that will repress another person. Comics were made for the underdogs by the underdogs. And comics are are now and will be forever for everybody. All right. Thank you. Now Thank to you. you, dear listeners, have a good day, night evening, noon, dusk, or just whenever you're listening to this.